0: there we go welcome to the tuesday night bible study we just prayed and now we're going to uh, study revelation 15. let me give you a brief little um, recoup of where we are we are uh, for a while we were chapter 13 was kind of the halfway point In the seven-year tribulation, three and a half years, we met Antichrist and the false prophet, learned about the mark that you have to have on your hands or your forehead in order to buy or sell anything, and the fact that Antichrist may imprison and even kill some Christians and um after that we had chapter 14 which is a glorious chapter showing a a glimpse of the future it's not chronological of the saints those that were martyred for the gospel of jesus and others uh, with jesus as he's returned to the mount of olives in jerusalem a flash forward instead of a flash back now we're in chapter 15 the shortest chapter um in this book of Revelation. I wanted to do one quick thing. At the end of 14. Um, and that is. Let's see. I think it's verse 20. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, does verse 20 mention the 16. The number 1600. Yes. Okay let me just find that. So I can read it. You would think the teacher would be prepared. Um, let's see. So th- there's great judgment in that chapter. Where. Where. Um, there's a sickle and there's harvesting. This is not believers being harvested. These, this is unbelievers being judged. And you know that because um, the grapes are ripe in the, uh, the grapes of wrath. That's where the song came from. Uh, the words of the song, uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic. Verse 19, the angel swung his sickle on the earth. I'm in chapter 14. Gathered its grapes and threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. His extreme anger on all sin and all rebellion against him. The world has turned against God and Christ for the most part. Beyond that, they have worshipped Satan and the Antichrist, who is a man that is a world leader who is empowered by Satan. And there's blood that flows out of the winepress of the wrath of God, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1600 stadia. Do you see that there? Forgot to mention this last time, just kind of a little trivia thing, but 1,600 is an interesting number, it turns out, biblically. It's the square of 40. 40 times 40, 1,600. You say, okay, so what? 40 is the number of punishment. Um, It rains for 40 days and 40 nights when God is flooding the earth. You remember that? Israel is punished for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Remember? Um, certain offenders received 40 lashes. Um, So I, I just thought that was interesting. Okay, so chapter 15, we're still continuing a long parenthesis that started in chapter 12. In other words, things were pretty much chronological. Chapter 11, 12 started an interlude. 13 came back to being chronological. 14 and 15 are not. We're still in that parenthesis. This is just the preparation for the seven bowls. Remember in Revelation, there's a lot of sevens. There's seven seals on the scroll, remember that? Each one of them, as it came off, was a revelation, a judgment. Then there were seven trumpets, what you learn, and then there's seven bowls. The thing about them is that they're similar, but the seals are not as intense as the trumpets. Trumpets are more intense. The trumpets are pretty intense, but the bowls are unbelievably, you're not going to believe what we're about to read. Chronologically now, we have fast forwarded through the tribulation. We are days away from the end of the seven years. When we go through this, I'll show you why. The trumpets could happen over several months or even several years' time. The bowls are so horrible. When you read them, you'll understand. Some scholars think it's within a week or a few days. Some scholars think it all happens the same day. These are not bowls, meaning big deep bowls that you would make a salad in or something or cereal bowls They're really more like saucers, very shallow. The idea is, if there's liquid in them, they could be just all dumped out at once. Whereas a big bottle, you'd have to—it would take time to come out of it. Anyway, so I know that you're awake. Say amen. Amen. Beautiful. Those of you on Zoom, I can't hear you, but oh, we have an amen sign here. I've been seeing it on Zoom forever. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I've been seeing it on my screen all along. Those of you on Zoom, say amen so I know you're awake. We have a group from Vanuatu halfway around the world watching, and it's tomorrow over there now. Welcome to you from Vanuatu. God bless you. All right. We are uh, now all awake, most of us anyway. Um, So chapter 15 is that parenthesis. These are the seven bowls. If you're waiting for the seven bowls, we're going to read through 15. It's only eight verses, and you'll find it doesn't happen. The bulls are, it's a preparation for them. They start in chapter 16. We'll get into that as well tonight. So let's read, shall we? Verse 1 of chapter 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them, God's wrath is finished or completed, done. Done. So that's the good news. We've seen so much wrath of God on people. Keep in mind, God could just judge the whole unbelieving world. In an instant, it's over. In his grace, he does these things as punishment, but also as a wake-up call for some people to say, I need to get on my knees and come to Christ. What you'll see is, although some do that, most, their hearts are so hard, their hearts are harder as these things occur, but that's the grace of God in all of this. Um, let's see, do I want to say this now? Yes, I do. God is love. Is that true? It's true, First John and elsewhere, but if your picture, if your image of God, your understanding of God is just that, he's just a loving old teddy bear, just a gentle guy, and he is all those things, but if you're picture of God is only that. It is incomplete because he is also an absolutely fair and righteous judge. And because of his nature of being a fair and righteous judge, he has to judge all sin. Has to. Can't let it go. Does he delay his judgment in patience? He does. But there comes a time, and we're about to read it, where the judgment has to come. He has to judge all sin. Imagine you're going to go to your family reunion. You're the closest people that you know of, even aunts and uncles and cousins and grandma and everybody, grandchildren, everyone's going to be there. This is kind of a graphic and gross thing, but I don't know how else to make the point. As your whole family is celebrating, masked terrorists come in and shoot everyone except you innocent. They didn't, your family didn't do anything to these guys. They just killed everybody. The masked men are caught. They're brought to court for the trial. And I'm the judge. You say, oh, we're in trouble already. (laughs) And I hear all the evidence. There's videotape of the shooting. There's no question it was them. The DNA is 100% proof it was them. I hear all the evidence and then I, the judge, say, you know what? I'm in a good mood today and everybody makes mistakes. I'm going to let these two guys go. Sorry. Would you say he's a fair judge? Would you say he's a loving judge or would you say he's an idiot? Some of you do already. But anyway, my point is, you would say justice has not been served. Mankind has built into them from God the idea that there is a cause and effect relationship to what we do. If it's bad, there has to be punishment. The beautiful thing about Christianity is there are two options in Christianity. Option one, I have sinned my whole life. I can pay for my sins and live my life on my own and die and go to hell, and pay for them, forever. Or, someone else, Jesus Christ, who loved me, who paid the price for my sins, took my shame and my guilt, lived the perfect life I was supposed to live without sin, died the horrible death I deserved, He offers that righteousness, that death, as payment for my sins which sounds better to you. So, God's about to judge sin. I just didn't want anybody watching on Zoom or here to think, boy, God's such a meanie. These people, you're going to see the words in this text. They deserve it. And he's been very patient. Um, Let's dive in. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. The sign is the seven angels with the seven bowls. That's the one sign. Um, okay. And the, the wrath of God is completed with these. This is the last chance for mankind. Verse two. And I saw, by the way, God is doing the judging you'll see, but the angels are his agents. Verse two. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious, some translations have on the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his image, remember that the the false prophets set up, made people worship it, and over the number of his name, that's the number on the hand of the forehead, the 666 thing. So these are people standing on or next to a sea of glass, it's glowing with fire, Uh, And beside the sea, there they are victorious over the beast and over the number of his name. They held harps given to them by God, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. And we'll get to that in a second, but let's stay on verse uh, 2 for now. Okay, keep your finger here. Go to Revelation 4. I just want to show you something. So take a left. Go back to Revelation chapter 4. And this is the first time we see a glimpse of heaven in this book. John is transported. God says, come up here. I'll show you what must soon take place. That's where the visions really begin for uh, John. Now in chapter 4, stay there and look at verse 6. He's seeing the throne room of God. Um, Verse 6. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal, you say, is this the same sea? It is. Wait, you say, it's clear as crystal here in chapter four. It's glowing red. In chapter 15, what's going on? Red speaks of judgment, speaks of blood, speaks of fire. Um, So that's why that is. So that sea of glass is where the believers are now standing. These are tribulation martyrs. They died during the tribulation. They would not worship antichrist. They would not relinquish their faith or deny their faith. And they were killed for the gospel. Some people think that Christians who are alive during the tribulation will, because I'm a Christian, I've got immunity. God will protect me. Listen, remember there's two things going on during the tribulation. God is pouring out his wrath on the earth you as a believer are immune from that god will make sure he's not spanking you you're his child so you and i will never be harmed if you see hundred pound um hailstones falling which we will shortly none of those are going to hit you in the head because they're from god on unbelievers that's the definition of the punishment the wrath however the second thing going on that's kind of a big deal is antichrist is ruling the world who's a man controlled by satan and he hates your guts, and Jesus's guts, and hates the gospel, and hates God, and he might be coming after you and me. Revelation 13 uh, talks about the fact that some are destined to go into captivity, and some die for their faith. We're not exempt from that. We pray for protection. God will provide for us, but we might have to die. It would be arrogant for us, if we're alive at the time of the tribulation, to think we're the only generation In the history of the world that's going to be immune from any persecution nobody can harm us martyrs the the blood of the martyrs has come all the way through to this point in the 1900s the 20th century more christians died than in all the other centuries put together it's not getting better folks in any case so they're standing next to the sea uh, of glass they're in the throne room of god They've overcome the beast, it says. Um, I want you to notice in this chapter all the references to Exodus. Number one, we're about to see the song of Moses. We're going to hear about plagues. Many of the plagues of these seven bowls sound a lot like more intense versions of the plagues that um, God put on the Egyptians for holding the Jews and not letting them go to the promised land. You remember all that. You'll see the plagues. You'll see Moses. You'll see the tabernacle. You'll see the cloud of God's glory, the Shekinah glory. That's here. This chapter shows that the ultimate, listen, Exodus, we'll get into this more. The ultimate Exodus is not Israel and God releasing them from Egypt to go to the promised land. That was a foreshadowing of the ultimate exodus, which is believers, the Lord Jesus on the cross dying for sins and believers being able to overcome a sinful and persecuting world. I'll show you that as we go. So we already talked about that in the early church, early church writings, the, um, the church coined the term martis, which is, the word means witness, is all it means. It doesn't mean you die necessarily, but Christians adopted it, and it meant somebody who witnessed to the point where they were willing to die, hence the term martyr, okay? Um, Christians, uh, in the early days of the church, called martyrdom the day of victory, the day of glorification, absent from the body, instantly with the Lord. So, go back to verse 2. Um, There's a sea of glass glowing with fire, standing beside the sea, believers who'd been victorious over the beast. You say, wait, they were victorious? They were killed. The beast won. No, that's the whole point. Their death for their faith was their greatest victory, the greatest honor in heaven, is being willing to die for your faith. I pray none of us, none of you ever have to face that. But if we do, I believe the Holy Spirit will help us to stand in our faith. Amen? So there they are, um, their victories over the beast, over the image, over the number of his name. That's an astounding thing, because in chapter 13, the people of the world who don't believe say, who is like the beast? Who can make war with him? He's invincible. He's unstoppable. This is saying, no, the the, way, the ones that overcame him are the ones that were willing to die for their faith for Jesus Christ, because they go on. They held harps given to them by God. Prior to this, there were harps in chapter four, I think it was four or five, and the only ones playing them were the elders, the 24 elders. Now, they're given to all of us. They get the joy of worshiping God with, can I get an amen, Jeff, who's a fellow musician, musical instruments in heaven. You say, oh, I don't really know how to play the harp. Do You think all these people know how to play the harp? They do now, right? Pretty cool. And they're going to play this song, Is there a rehearsal? No, I don't think they need one. Um, Kind of a neat thing. The harps are given to them by God. Verse 3, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy, that word means separate. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Okay, so that's the words of the song. I can't sing it because I don't know how it goes, but if I'm suddenly transported to heaven and I'm in this choir, I'm just gonna know how to sing it, and so will you. Those of you that don't have a good singing voice, you're gonna be like Pavarotti. And if you don't know who that is, you have to Google it and look it up. Okay. Um, When God saved Israel, do you remember? He, through a series of plagues, finally, Pharaoh says, okay, go. And they go, right? And everything's going great, except Pharaoh says, no, get the army together, chase them. Remember? And the Jews see, oh, no, they're coming behind us. And the Jews are stuck in a no wind situation they can they 're unarmed they can 't fight the army behind them going ahead they 're stuck at the Red Sea. Do you remember no wind situation. God provides a way through the sea right opens it up they can walk across where the sea was. they get to the other side they 're safe. Where are they at the other side when they sing this song in Exodus fifteen standing next to the sea. Where are they here? Standing next to the sea. This is the ultimate exodus. They sing this song. It's in um, chapter 15 of uh, exodus. So the song praises, notice, um, I'm going to give you W's here. God's works, his ways, his worthiness, and his worship. Okay. Okay. So why this song now? By the way, know what, what song are they singing? Now, this is one of those things scholars disagree. You're used to me saying that, right, in this book. Some people say it's two different songs the song of Moses and the song of the lamb. Who's the lamb class? Jesus Christ. So some think it's two songs. Some think it's one song with two names. Does it really matter? No. The point is the song of Moses was thanking God for deliverance from what looked like uh, surely the worst thing that could happen. We're stuck at the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is going to come and slaughter all of us. And instead they're delivered. And the same deliverance that saves the Jews kills the army. We'll see that in a second. Pharaoh's army. Uh, let's see. So the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb. So here's the words great and marvelous are your deeds. Who's, who are we talking to about your, well, it says, doesn't it Lord God almighty, God, the father, his deeds, his works are great and marvelous. Keep in mind the context. These are people in revelation 15 who have been, killed for their faith during the tribulation count and notice how many times you pointing to god your pointing to god comes up there's no oh woe is me boy did we have to suffer with our little violins and we there's none of that these people have the heart of worship who is it about well i there's no i great are your it's all about god the true heart of worship okay Great and marvelous are your deeds. What's the context? He's about to judge sin in a big way on planet Earth. These people are saying those deeds are great. In fact, every deed God does is great. They don't question, but why did you have to make us suffer? There's none of that. First of all, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. The works of God, the deeds of God could go all the way back to creation. They could go all the way back to all of the history we read in the Old Testament and the new. The deed on the cross is the ultimate deed of God, is it not? But right up to your life and everything, listen, that happened to you. Well, you don't know what happened to me. I had some bad things happen. Me too right? But Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible. I checked this morning. It's still there. I can't believe it. And we know that God causes all things, listen, all things that happen to you and me to work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Translation, every single thing that happens to you and me, broken leg, bad diagnosis from the doctor, pain, suffering, whatever, God can use all those things and put them into a tapestry that looks weird from one side, but when he flips it over in heaven and you see not the backs of the threads, but the way the tapestry is woven by God, you, you praise God and go, now I see why you needed to do that. I needed to be humbled in 1997, or I needed to be moved from that area to this area or whatever it may be. We don't claim to understand as it's happening. You know what we do? We just trust him and go, I know you're in control, God. God is not in heaven watching your life going, oh, no, look at that. What are we going to do about that? It's all under his control. So his deeds are marvelous. Lord God, almighty, all powerful. And the context is we just had an almighty or seemingly almighty leader named the Antichrist who's about to lose. Just or fair, and true are your ways, king of the nations. Now, the Antichrist was the king of the nations, but not really. His ways are fair. They are just and true. No one who is judged by God on judgment day will be able to say, well, that wasn't fair. No one Right? In my analogy about the family reunion that was so horrible, somebody killed their whole family, we had a trial, and the judge let the guy go. Not fair. No one will say that wasn't fair. But there is one asterisk, and that's this unbelievers are judged fairly and justly sent to hell because they said no to Jesus, no to God, there's no other Savior, they will pay forever. If there's anything that's not fair, it's more than fair. It's that you and I get to go to heaven because those people in hell, don't look down your nose at them. Some of us were worse sinners than some of them, right? We all deserve that, but we're getting grace. It's incredible. Okay. Um, I'm taking my time because there's so much here. Verse uh, just and true your ways king of the nations i love that jesus is called the king of kings and lord of lords verse four who will not fear you lord it's a rhetorical question the answer is no one everyone will eventually fear god having a healthy reverence and awe for who and what he is remember that the bible also says in isaiah i believe it is but also in philippians 2 that every knee will bow Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's every knee. You mean believers? No, I mean every knee, every tongue, even unbelievers. They'll do it reluctantly, we said last week. We'll do it gloriously. We we do it every day, right? Verse 4, are we still in? Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. Hagios, the word means separated out totally for a purpose that is Good and perfect. There's no sin in him. There's no darkness or shadow in him. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. They're about to be revealed, but he's saying it like it's already happened. Okay. All nations will come and worship before you. Does that mean, as a few people teach, uh, Rob Bell used to have a huge church in Illinois, I think Chicago. Preach the gospel. And then, boy, he went off the rails. He started teaching universalism. Does this verse teach universalism? Well, what's universalism, Joe? Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody makes it. God understands. Don't worry about it. Jesus was wrong when he talked more. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Pretty amazing. Does this teach universalism? No. What this teaches is that people from every nation and language and tribe, some of them will come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Muslims, Asians, even Italians, yes, everyone. I have to pick on the Italians because I am one. Okay. Uh, So you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, verse five, I looked and I saw in heaven, the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law. And it was open again, another memory of Exodus, Egypt, the Jews. So he sees in heaven, the temple, and there's the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it's open. Okay. In Hebrews and gosh, I have it in the notes somewhere. Um, somewhere in the Old Testament, it's explained that everything God tells Moses to do or Solomon, whoever, build the temple this way. Each thing about the temple is a, listen, copy of the real one in heaven. This is the real one in heaven. Someday you're going to see it. We can take a tour there Monday through Thursday. They have the tours. Anyway, um, so the tabernacle is uh, there the temple uh, of the covenant law and it is open the old testament has to do with law the new testament has to do with grace and mercy okay the ultimate exodus christ on the cross combines both There's great grace in the New Testament, there's no question. But don't think there isn't law in the New Testament and wrath, because here it is. But the greater wrath was on the cross, where Jesus took the wrath, all of these and more, on himself in your place and mine. In any case, let's keep rolling. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Okay, good. I see you waving. Okay, on Zoom. Great. Mhm the tabernacle so there's the tabernacle the real one in heaven and it's open out of the tab- temple verse 6 came the seven angels with the seven plagues there's a big build up here you notice they still haven't poured out a single bowl yet but it's a big deal that listen the angels are coming out of where the temple of god meaning what that these punishments these bowls of the worst wrath of god are coming directly from his temple, meaning although the angels are his agents, it's coming directly from whom? From God himself. Angels aren't acting on their own. So here they come with the seven angels, the seven plagues, that's the seven bulls. They're dressed, still in verse 6, in clean, shining linen, with golden sashes around their chests. This is the picture a picture of the purity, but also the golden sashes are what a priest would wear. They're acting um, for God, if you will. Dressed in clean, shining linen, golden sashes around their chests. Okay, I'm on the wrong page of notes. Um, <laughs> let me see if I missed anything before we move on. Oh yeah, there it is. Exodus 25 and Hebrews 8, 9 remind us that what Moses is supposed to build is a copy of the heavenly stuff, temple, everything. Okay, here it comes. And we're still, the drum roll is still continuing. Verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures, we met them in chapter 4. These are very strange angels, you remember, with a bunch of wings and eyes all around and just strange creatures, very high up ranking angels that surround the throne room of God uh, and, the, and the throne of God. Verse 7, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Okay, are these literal bowls? No, it's sort of symbolic, but each bowl is a horrible thing that happens on earth. Let me just preface it with that, um, and we'll see them as we go along. So he's actually handing out the bowls, one of the, the um, four living creatures. He hands them to the seven angels and they're filled with the wrath of God. Notice it says who lives forever and ever. That's in there because the antichrist has seemed like he's God and the God, the real God of heaven is the one that lives forever and ever for eons and eons. In other words, verse eight, interesting verse and the temple that's, we're still in the heavenly temple interesting, was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed, meaning poured out. Oftentimes, there's um, the smoke of the glory of of God's glory, the Shekinah glory. Uh, When Moses, um, when the temple was filled with smoke in Moses' day, he couldn't enter. Okay. Smoke represents the pre- actual presence of God. Sinful man, just we can't enter. In this case, even in heaven, nobody can go in there until the wrath of God is complete for whatever reason. Um, so um, the Shekinah glory, yeah, fills it. Okay. So you say, well, that's the end of the chapter. We didn't get the bowls. I told you, it's just like an introduction coming attractions. Here come the bulls. I want you to notice how fast they come. They might all come in one day, two days, a week at the most. You'll see why it can't be over a long period of time because nobody would survive. Uh, Jesus even says in Matthew 24, if those days were not shortened, no no flesh would survive, no soul would survive. Chapter 16. Okay, where's the setting? Earth. Just a little introduction. The judgments, remember, are aimed... Only at unbelievers on the earth. That's the first thing. Um, Also on the Antichrist false prophet. Uh, Yeah. Believers, if they're still on the earth, will be unharmed by these bulls. I want to say it again. Some of them sound so horrific you can't imagine how. God will figure it out. Um, Okay. The trumpets and the bulls. I already told you the trumpets are bad, the bulls are way worse. But there's some real similarity. The first four, uh, let's see, the first series of trumpets, first one deals with the earth, second one with the sea, third one with the rivers and the fresh water, fourth one with the sun. Very similar order here you're about to see. Um, And then there's extreme darkness, and then something to do with the Euphrates River. We'll talk about that. And then lightnings, thunders, and an earthquake. Those of you that know anybody in the Bay Area, they had a 5.1. And then a little bit smaller one earlier today. This is what we're going to read about is the largest earthquake in the history of the universe. Okay. That's coming as well. But the trumpets only dealt the first one with a third of the earth. Do you remember that? A third of the earth. The bowls are the whole earth. So it's much more intense and happened much more quickly uh, one right after the other. Um, strangely, the bowls are going to cause further hardening for the unbelievers of their hearts. You would think they would say, what am I waiting for? I got to get on my knees and repent. And they don't, you'll see that again and again. Um, they've heard the gospel, they've rejected it, they hate God, they've trodden underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ. They've thumbed their nose at Jesus' sacrifice. They've despised the grace of God. They said no to Jesus, to his grace, to his word. He has pled with them. He sent an angel, remember, a chapter or two ago, to witness to the whole world about the gospel. These people will not believe. They love their sin. Jesus in John 3 says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They worship Antichrist. They worship Satan. Remember that sin is what causes every bad thing on planet earth. No wonder God hates and has to judge sin. He made a perfect world. Remember? Garden of Eden. Who messed it up? Satan, but Adam and Eve, really. Had Adam and Eve said, get lost, Satan, we're going to listen to God and his one, one command, not 10, don't eat of that tree. But they don't. In any case, the seven bowls are, here comes the summary, you ready? Horrible sores that grow on the body seemingly overnight. Of all believers, all believers. Um, The sea turning to blood, fresh water turning to blood, the the sun scorching hot. Um, The beast's kingdom goes dark. These are the seven bowls. And the Euphrates River dries up, which allows armies to cross and invade. We'll talk about why that's a big deal. And then uh, the largest earthquake, hailstones, lightning, all of that. Those that believe in the preterist position, preterist means, yes, I've read Revelation, I've read Matthew 24, Jesus talking about wars, rumors of wars, and signs on the sun, moon, and stars. Preterists believe this stuff already happened. They have a hard time with this chapter. You'll see why. Ken, and I know you have your hand up, and because we got people that can't hear you, what's your question in one sentence or two? For I'm sorry, I meant to say unbelievers. Did I say believers? I'm 68 years old. That's my excuse. Okay. The sores are on believers. Unbelievers uh, uh, are on unbelievers. Believers don't get the sores. We, we have a good dermatologist that keeps the sores off of us. Okay. Chapter thir- uh, 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying, by the way, whose voice is this? Process of elimination. Who was in there? God. But smoke, no one else could go in there. So whose voice is this? God the Father. Then I heard a loud voice. You think God has a loud voice? Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Here it is. And here they come, rapid fire. The first angel, verse 2, went and poured out his bowl on the land. Remember, the first trumpet was on the earth, man's environment. On the land. But this time, it's not on the environment. It's on men themselves. And ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Remember? can't buy or sell on the hand or forehead 666 or some similar thing, computer chip, barcode. I don't know what it is, but it's never been possible to do this and control commerce around the world until the last few years, right? It's interesting that antichrist marked his people on their hand or their forehead. In the chapter before that, God marked his people with his name and the name of his son on the forehead of the 144,000, do you remember that? So Satan most recently has marked his people. They are pledged allegiance. They have pledged allegiance to Satan. They're, they have his mark. You with me? They thought by doing this, we're cool. We're going to have be able to buy and sell. We'll be fine. God, who is sovereign even over Satan and even over the Antichrist. He puts his own mark on the unbelievers who have the mark of the beast, and it's not pretty. It's festering sores, ulcerous sores. It's a a weird word in uh, Greek. So this is God marking them. This is the first of the plagues. We'll find out that these sores are extremely painful. There's no cure. It sounds to me like it happens overnight, just boom, all the ones that, and surely they're going to figure it out. Do you have the sores too? Yes, I took the mark, but you know who doesn't? My sister didn't take the mark. She doesn't have them. They'll know, right? So uh, we already talked about that. So they are marked by God with ulcerous, maybe cancerous growths of some kind, very painful. Exodus 9, tie into Exodus, watch, Um, says, quote, it's the sixth plague in Egypt. If you remember your plagues of Egypt, boils or sores. Exodus 9, 9 to 11 says, quote, if men, oh, sorry, wrong, wrong thing. It's the same thing. This is a quote from William Newell, a, a Bible scholar. If men are not won by grace, they will not be won. These people will not be won by God's grace. They've turned their back on God. So this is a pandemic, if you will, of sores. But only on unbelievers, unbelievers, who took the mark of the beast. Uh, the, obviously, there can be no cure. God's made sure of that. The, this is directly on man. Believers are somehow protected if they're alive on the earth right now. Verse Uh, Where are we? Wrong book. There we go. Wrong chapter. Verse three. So that's the first one. Festering sores breaking out on the people who have the mark. Verse three, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. And that's all the oceans. These are global. And it turned into blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. Before it was a third of the sea that was affected by the trumpets. This is God pulling out all the stops. All of the salt water, the oceans, not the fresh water that's coming in the next one, are affected by this. So this is a total contamination of the sea. Um, It's like the blood of a dead man. So I thought about that this week, and I thought... If you picture, you, God forbid, you come around a corner in some street and there's a dead man and then lying in a pool of blood. If you know anything about blood, it's red and it's liquid. But if it sits in the open air for very long, it gets thicker, right? It coagulates. So I'm picturing the ocean just becoming a bloody mess. You can't drink blood. Blood was unclean to drink for the Jews. For whatever reason, is this literal blood? I think it is. Um, uh, It becomes like blood of a dead man. Or is it just absolute, total, and immediate pollution? How many know what a red tide is? You ever seen a red tide? Some of you have. That's nothing compared to this. Red tide um, goes away eventually. It happened in Florida, and then it came back a few years later. We saw it in Belize, my wife and I, and we've seen it in Santa Cruz County as well. Um, Okay, so second bowl It turns into blood like that of a dead person. And every living thing in the sea dies. Every, every. Don't equivocate on these things. Okay, if you know anything about fish, if they die, what happens? They float to the top. Can you imagine the smell worldwide? Everybody take a deep... Okay, let's keep rolling. It's not pleasant, right? What I'm trying to show you is these things, it can't happen over months and months and months. It's gotta be very, very quick. We're days or a day or two before the return of Christ and the battle of Armageddon. I'll show you in a second, very close to the end. Um, The third angel, verse four, poured out his bowl on the fresh water, rivers and springs of water, And they became blood. Now, don't forget Revelation 11. Remember the two witnesses? They witnessed for three and a half years, second half of the tribulation, or pretty close. And they pray, and it doesn't rain the whole time. You remember? So water is in short supply already. Already we've had some of the fresh water turned to blood back with the trumpets. Now all the fresh water, verse 4, became blood, no drinking water, can't live very long without drinking water, right? Uh, And they became blood. Notice it doesn't like blood, they became blood. Could God turn water into blood? Could Jesus turn water into wine instantly? Change the chemical makeup just by thinking it? So is it any sweat for God to change all the water into actual blood? maybe. Why blood? Well, we'll, we're about to find out. So just at the point where, and that's why I preface the chapter with this stuff about, is God just a mean guy? Just at that point, an angel speaks up in case anybody's thinking, boy, this seems excessive of you, God. Watch, and then we'll take our two-minute break. Then I heard, verse 5, The angel in charge of the waters. Did you know there's an angel in charge of the waters? I heard the, the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, O holy one. You who are and who were the eternality of God. For they, who's they? The unbelievers, the ones who took the mark of the beast, the ones who said no to God, They didn't just thumb their nose at God. What else did they do? Verse 6. For they have shed the blood of your holy people, your kids, God, and your prophets. And you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. They were thirsty for the blood of the saints. And God said, if you're thirsty for blood, I'll give you blood to drink. Yikes. Let's take our two-minute break right now and stretch our aging uh, legs and bodies those of you on zoom hang with me i'm just going to turn my screen off for two minutes i'll be right back those of you that are here make sure you say hello to someone you don't know i'll be right back don't go away there we go find your seats those of you that are here those of you that are on zoom people bring cookies and brownies and stuff and we're all getting We're gaining weight over here. Okay, we're back in Revelation chapter 16. We're right in the middle of the bowls. Find your seats back there, if you will. All right, so we left off with the fresh water being contaminated like blood. So there's no no sea life left. The earth does not smell good, and now all the fresh water is all... um, Turned to blood. Some of you that live here in the mountains, if you're like me, some of you are on a water system. Some of you are on a well, right? I thought about this today. The water, the fresh water turned to blood. I think if we're alive and we turn our water on, it won't be blood. Your well will be okay. Or I don't know how it'll work. God's in charge. Amen. Jesus can change water to wine. I'm not that worried about it. So the angel speaks and sort of justifies the judgment and says, you are just, you are fair in these judgments, O Holy One, verse 5, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, by the way, including the two witnesses. Remember chapter 11? Maybe Moses and Elijah, we said. They've shed their blood. And in chapter 6 of Revelation, under the altar, do you remember, were the martyrs that were killed? It was a, four, a glance forward, and they were crying out to God saying, how long until you avenge our blood? Here's the answer. The prayers are answered. He doesn't wait forever, but he does wait in patience. Now he's avenging their blood. These are the final judgments of God uh, on planet Earth. Um, you have given, the end of verse 6, you've given them blood to drink as they deserve. Verse 7 is interesting. The altar personified. Listen. And I heard the altar respond, "Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments." Like I said, when God judges, no one can say, "Well, that wasn't that wasn't really fair." He got a bum rap, that guy or that gal. It's totally fair that he's judging this way. Verse. Let's go back to the bowls now. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay. Verse eight. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. Now we're off the earth, right? And the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Isn't that mind-blowing? This verse is... It marks the first time that Al Gore is sort of correct about global warming. I know it's a little extreme on the global warming. I had to take a stab at Al Gore. Okay, he pours out his bowl over the sun, if you can imagine, and it causes the sun for the light not to diminish, But to get extreme in the heat, something the world has taken for granted that God gave to earth is the sun. Makes things grow, keeps us warm, provides light for half of the day, roughly, right? Now it's God's sun, S-U-N. He can do what he wants. Now the sun is scorching people with fire. They're seared by the intense heat. I'm assuming even indoors. Right. Um, And so the reaction is just mind blowing to me. I want you to notice that they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. It's not man-made global warming here, is it? God made. God decided, let's turn up the thermostat. 145, 190. I don't know how hot it'll be. I do believe, even without the air conditioner on, If you're there, you'll say, it looks like a lovely day to me. What's wrong with you people? Keep in mind, these people have serious boils all over, sores all over their body that are in pain. And now the heat. Oh, but there's no water as well. And the place smells. Um, Isn't it interesting that the people seared by the sun, understand who's in control. What do you mean? They curse the name of God who had control over these plagues, right? Parenthetically, if you were an antichrist supporter and believer, I got the mark. I think he's the greatest. You got to be wondering who's in control. Why can't he stop The sea turning to blood. And what are you going to do about the fresh water? And what's with the thermostat of the earth? I thought you were in control. God is showing these people who's in control. It's really kind of beautiful. So extreme global warming. And I'm joking about that, but it is in a way. It's true, right? So they curse the name of God. There's pretty much nothing you can do worse than that. You know, most people, a lot of people ignore God. That's bad, right? We owe him everything and they ignore him. Worse to curse God's name as if that's going to have any effect. They understand he has control over these plagues. They refuse to repent and glorify him. By the way, to repent is to make a U-turn on the road of life, to change what you're doing and admit your sin is wrong and stop doing it and turn to god those two things are equated in that phrase they refuse to repent and glorify him to repent is to glorify god just say i was wrong you were right what you said is sin is and i did it and i'm sorry i turned to you they refuse to do that you would think this will get their attention They're so far gone, if you remember Pharaoh, Egypt, Exodus, he hardens his heart, he hardens his heart. Eventually it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Do you remember that? You want a hard heart? I'll give you a really hard heart, Pharaoh. Okay, you say, well, that's enough bowls for one night. Oh no, let's keep reading, shall we? Are you starting to see why this can't be over months and months and months? Nobody would survive. Verse 10, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Beast is the Antichrist. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done There's a point at which, chapter 14, we saw it. If you take the mark of the beast, there's no turning back. It's too late. So this is an amazing uh, bowl. To me, maybe the weirdest one and and the most interesting one. Um, He pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Okay? Now, depending on who you read commentary-wise, where's the throne of the beast? Okay? Three theories one, Rome. That's a majority opinion. Two, Jerusalem might be, right? That's where the temple is, where he claims to be God halfway through the tribulation. Other one, which we're going to be reading about for two chapters coming up, Babylon. Is Babylon rebuilt and is that where his throne is? Or is Babylon symbolic of all rebellion against God and all idolatry? That's kind of what I think, but I'm not sure. But wherever it is, the question is, and scholars disagree on this, is the darkness worldwide or is it just on his kingdom? Let's read it again. The fifth angel, verse 10, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. I almost get the feeling... It's everywhere there's an unbeliever with the mark of the beast. It's dark where they are. Did you ever see Peanuts, the, you know, Charlie Brown and all that, Lucy? And what was the character's name? Help me. The kid that was always dirty and had a cloud of dust around him. Who is it? Pigpen. Thank you. That'll be on the test. You might want to write that down. Um, That's in the book of Illusions, chapter four. Uh, Pigpen always had that cloud around him. I think unbelievers are going to have darkness wherever they go. I want i want to take you somewhere. Um, let's see, is it time to do that yet? Uh, yeah, Exodus 10. Exodus chapter 10. So grab your Bible, go all the way back. Genesis, then Exodus, second book of the Bible. Easy to find. Go to chapter 10. We're in the middle, and where we are in Exodus, is the plagues are occurring one after the other to get Egypt, to get Pharaoh, to wake up and let God's people go. He's showing them that he's God. Exodus 10, look at verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky, so the darkness will spread over Egypt. So it's localized over Egypt, the country that's um, persecuting the Jews. Look at the next phrase. NIV has darkness that can be felt, okay? Now, that's what's called a mixed metaphor. You can't, it's like, what does the color blue taste like? What? Right, it doesn't make any sense. What do strawberries taste like? I can tell you that. There is no taste for the color blue. Can you feel darkness? Now, listen, if you've ever been in a really dark place, and I mean spiritually, can't you feel it? I believe as an unbeliever, you wouldn't feel it like you do as a believer with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That that phrase blows my mind. Darkness that could be felt. Verse 22, so Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and and total darkness covered, listen, all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Power's out. No, it's just total darkness Both physically and spiritually. Remember when Jesus dies on the cross, what happens? Remember? Darkness in the middle of the day, not an eclipse. Spiritual darkness. Why? Because Jesus is taking the conglomerate total of all mankind's sin and shame and carrying it all. The wrath of God happening 2,000 years ago on the cross. Yet, look at verse 23, look at the second part. Let's read it again. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet, all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Do you see what I mean? What do you mean? They had generators? They had ca- No, I mean, it's just the spiritual darkness isn't around them. That's why I'm saying if it's 178 degrees and everyone's bo- boils are boiling over and you're comfortable, it feels like 71 to you. That might be the case if you're alive at the time. I just wanted you to see that. Okay, go back to Revelation. Stay awake. We're almost done. Darkness that can be felt. That's just such an amazing phrase to me. Okay, let me see. I have more notes on this verse, and then we'll move on. Mm, yeah, we talked about where. Uh, could be Rome, Jerusalem, Babylon. But it affects his whole kingdom. So, like it was in Egypt for three days, here... It's for the rest of the tribulation, and it's all over the world where his kingdom uh, exists. Um, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. I'm in the middle of verse 10. people gnawed their tongues in agony. Can you imagine? It's just, this is a horrible picture. Let's face it. Let's not try to make it not what it is. And... They repented and got on their knees and received Jesus. Oh, no, it doesn't say that in your Bible? No, it doesn't, does it? And they cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. Who are they blaming for their pain? God. Who? What is the reason for their pain? They brought it on themselves by worshiping and following after the Antichrist and Satan. Actions have consequences, don't they? Well, I just wanted to have food and water from my family and be able to buy and sell. And for three and a half years, you did. Now this, pretty amazing. Verse 11, the sixth angel, if you're counting, that's six out of seven. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. You say, well, this doesn't sound like that big of a deal. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Say, what's that? Literally, it reads the kings of the rising sun, which is the east direction. So this could be China, India, Japan, everything over there. The Roman Empire, the Euphrates River was 1,800 miles long and anywhere from 300 to 1,200 yards wide. What's your point, Joe? In those days, that was a really good barrier. It was the the dividing line of the east from the Roman Empire. It's also in what God told Israel, what Abraham, what land he was going to give him. It's that eastern boundary of that land. It served as protection the armies would have a hard time. They don't have a navy crossing over that river. But now it's dried up by God, searing heat and what have you, so that those armies can invade. The armies I'm about to show you think, the leaders of the armies think, I'm, doing, I'm making this decision on my own. Let's get the troops together and let's go invade Israel. I'll show you that in a second. OK, but as it turns out, God is putting their, his hook in their jaw, making them do this. What's about to happen is the armies of the world have had it and they're going to descend on Israel to attack and exterminate God's people. You know it as the battle of Armageddon you might be interested to learn, Armageddon is in the Bible. The Battle of Armageddon is nowhere in the Bible. Not in there. Well, isn't it a battle? Not really. It's like if I said, there is an ant on the floor in my kitchen. I'm about to go to battle with this ant. Is it a battle? Okay, he's done, he's gone. That's how it is. Christ returns. We'll read it in chapter 19. There's no battle. He wins like that. In fact, he wins to such a degree, the false prophet and the antichrist are just grabbed and thrown into the lake of fire. And Satan is grabbed by an angel and bound for a thousand years over. Well, what about all the war and the battles? And the, it's not really a battle. It's Joe against an ant. The ant might be like, not going to do well. Okay, um, we already talked about that. Antichrist had appeared to be totally in control. It's pretty embarrassing for him. I like that it says that the bowl is poured on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom's plunged into darkness. I'm picturing the antichrist on his throne. He's got some nice lighting, and poof, there's a power outage. He's suddenly in darkness. He looks like such a fool because he is. Verse. 12. The Euphrates River. The water's dried up. The kings are coming from the east. Verse 13. Then I saw three unclean or impure spirits that looked like frogs. Okay. Frogs were unclean in the Old Testament. Unclean animals um where were we there we go they came out of the mouth of the dragon that's the devil out of the mouth of the beast that's the antichrist and out of the mouth of the false prophet you remember it's the antichrist right-hand man who builds the image of the antichrist that can speak so out of their mouths satan antichrist false prophet unclean spirits that look like frogs okay Well, what are they john could you give us a little more information verse 14 they are demonic spirits translation fallen angels that rebelled with satan they are demonic spirits that perform listen signs miracles occur okay perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of god almighty He's gathering all the kings. Let's get everyone together and get this all done all at once. They think they're deciding on their own. I'm the sovereign general of Iran or of China, and we're gonna we decided to go. And he calls up India and they he says, Well, we're going to go too. You know, okay. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I apologize for that. Okay. Demonic spirits. So. Right in the midst of all this and that attack, by the way, uh, let me just do a little Armageddon background for you. Uh, Armageddon comes from two Hebrew words, Har Megiddo. It means the hill or mountain of Megiddo. Um, the words mean the place of slaughter, also called the Valley of Jezreel. That valley, Armageddon, is 14 miles wide, 20 miles long. Napoleon the great military man saw this valley and said, it was the most natural, perfect place for a battle anywhere on the earth, Um, the perfect battlefield. Um, So many think they're coming to invade the holy land, Jerusalem, that's where they're headed. Um, So is it a battle? We already talked about that. By the way, in Revelation 19, you know what God calls it? Supper for the birds. So many people die, that are evil, the birds can feast on their flesh. It's a little gross, chapter 19, you might want to miss that Bible study if you have a weak stomach. Um, So God is moving the chess pieces so that all these armies are coming. If you're in Israel, you're thinking, oh no, they're all coming here, and yet God's in control. Some scholars think this is, and it might be, Um, Ezekiel 38 and 39. If you haven't read Ezekiel 38 and 39, go home and read it. It's a prophecy. It clearly has never happened before. So it's going to happen in the future. I can tell you that for sure, because God said it would. Is this it? I don't know. What's Ezekiel 38 and 39? We don't have time to read the whole thing. I'll give you the short version. A bunch of countries decide, let's go invade Israel. And they do. And on the mountains of Israel, as they're coming in, God himself strikes them, makes them blind so they can't see, knocks the weapons out of their hands. Um, It gets kind of gross. Their eyes melt in the sockets. And yeah, some of the ladies are pleased that I said that. And he defeats them. Is this that? I don't know. If it isn't, it's got to happen in the future because God predicted it and he's always right. Um... Yeah, we already talked about that. So um, remember, God dried up the Red Sea so the Jews could cross over. Remember that? Same kind of thing. Uh, The Egyptians, by the way, revered a, wait for it, frog goddess. How stupid are people that they would worship, of all things, a frog goddess. Anyway, thought I'd throw that in. The countries in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are in their old names, but most people think it's Russia, Iran, which is Persia, Ethiopia, Northern Sudan, Arabia, uh, Put, which is Libya and some African nations, Gomer, which believe it or not, some scholars think is Germany, uh, Beth Togarma, which is Turkey, the King of the South, which is probably Egypt and other Arab states, and then the Kings of the West, 10 Nation Confederacy, Europe, maybe the United States, even if we're still around. Um, And the kings of the east, the orient blocked nations we already talked about. Okay. In the midst of all this, there's a little parenthesis. Wait, how many bowls is that? Six. Every time when there was six trumpets, there's a pause. And something is said that's profound. Here it comes. Verse 15. Behold. I like that better. NIV has look. Behold. I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then you look at verse 16, it goes right back to the narrative. Why is that in there? Well, of course, you recognize the language. Jesus comes like a thief in the night, right? Um... Keep your finger here and go to 1 Thessalonians, if you can find it, chapter 5. So from Revelation, take a left and you're going to find an area where all the books start with T. Two, two that say Timothy, Titus, and then there's two, keep going left, Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, and I'll show you something most Christians do not know. And you can tell them tomorrow when you see them. Most people will tell you, Well, Jesus comes as a thief. That's true. And no man knows the day or the hour. That's true too. And they'll tell you it's going to be a shock for everyone. Unbelievers, yes. And believers. Okay, watch. 1 Thessalonians 5. Are you there? Say amen. Look at verse... uh, Well, let's do verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates. He's talking about the end times. We do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord, that period of tribulation, he judges, second coming, all of that, that the day of the Lord will come like a what? Thief in the night. What's the thing about a thief in the night? Unexpected, right? Thieves don't call and go, I'm thinking of breaking in your house, Jeff and Doreen, would Thursday at 1130 work for you? They just show up, right? It's unexpected you know that the day will come like a thief in the night. There it is, unexpected. While people, verse 3, are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they, they will not escape. Listen, who is he writing to? The Christians in Thessalonica. Look at verse 4. But you, brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Do you understand the difference? We won't be surprised. Are you saying we're going to know the day of the hour? No. But we're going to be seeing the signs. There's a guy controlling the world and boils and, you know, all the other signs. We're going to be talking about it going, it's any day now. Praise God. You guys okay? Yeah, we are too, kind of thing. You still eating those cookies at Bible study? Oh, yeah. Yeah. God provided and we ate them. You're not in darkness at this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, implying what? That the unbelievers do. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be alert and self-controlled. Self-controlled, we'll go down to verse eight, putting on faith and love is a breastplate, and the hope of salvation is a helmet. God didn't appoint us to suffer his wrath, right? All of his wrath is falling. It's not hurting us. It's dark around them, not around us, but to receive salvation through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now go back to Revelation. We only have a few minutes left, and the teacher is going to try to rush through one concept. We may not get another verse out, but okay, look at verse 15 again. Blessed is the one who stays awake. We just read about staying awake, didn't we? What does that mean? Awake. Awake to God. Awake in prayer. Awake in fellowship. Awake in reading his word and studying his word. Awake in, listen, obedience. Right? Not sloughing off, not getting drunk, and uh, oop, it shocked me like a thief. Jesus showed up, and I wasn't ready. By the way, if we knew what day Jesus was coming everybody would try to repent half an hour before that day started, right? May 17th, he's coming. Boy, May 16th, I'm going to be doing some praying all day. It's a good thing we don't know. Because probably, you know what, those people, they get hit by a bus May 14th, right? Or May 15th. Okay. He's coming as a thief, but I wanted, I'm i focusing on one thing, and we'll close with this. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. You say, what? Is it going to be like a nudist colony because of the heat? No, listen. We've done this in this Bible study many, many times. I don't have time to go through every verse. But from Genesis to Revelation, clothing, garments in the Bible are emblematic of, symbolic of one's spiritual condition. You got it? And so Adam and Eve sin, remember, Garden of Eden. What's the first thing they do? they know they are naked and they do what cover up fig leaves right um in the in the new testament um they know they're naked by the way god i love this and you've heard me say it before if you've been in this bible study for a while they cover themselves with fig leaves temporary covering right hiding their nakedness. What does God do? He covers them with animal skins, a more permanent covering for skin, uh, for, sorry, nakedness. Where does God get the animal skins? Same place you would. You got to kill an animal. Wait, Adam and Eve sinned. Yes. And an animal died? It wouldn't surprise me, by the way, if it was a lamb, but I, who knows? Animal skins. By the shedding of innocent blood, because Adam and Eve sinned, the animal didn't sin, right? It's a picture of Genesis three. We've already got a picture of the shedding of blood will cover sin and be a more permanent covering for our nakedness. Okay, um, Adam and Eve tried to cover up. That's what most people do, instead of receiving Jesus's covering. Galatians three twenty-seven. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Genesis, we talked about. Um, Revelation 7, believers, John says, who are they? And he's told, they are they which came out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. If you remember the marriage feast parable in Matthew 22, who provides the clothing? God our clothing is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we're clothed in white robes, if you will. Um, So in any case, clothing is emblematic of one's spiritual condition. Now read 15 again and we'll quit. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, clothed with Christ's righteousness, not our own. And so as not to go naked, Most people, if you've seen, if you were raised Catholic like me, Jesus on the cross, shirt off, that's correct, no robe, little loincloth, right? Wrong. Romans crucified people totally naked. It was the most shameful death in the world. It was a way to, as a deterrent for crime, to say, do you want this to happen to you? the shame for your parents, for for your whole family, I mean, kids, parents, totally naked. He dies naked so you and I can be clothed with his perfect righteousness. What an awesome offer. My garbage, sin, guilt, horribleness for his righteousness. My garbage for his gold. Only a fool would say no to that deal. We're out of time. Uh, Bow your heads with me and we'll pray. And then next week. The seventh bowl, you say, finally, I'm getting hungry for a bowl of cereal. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we could be in your word and we see these judgments and we deserve them. And yet, we're we're not going to have to face any judgment from you this way, God. No wrath because Jesus took our wrath, everything we deserved that was bad, he took it on the cross. What an amazing thing. Therefore, do we not owe you? everything, God? Do we not owe Christ everything? And we willingly bow our knee and with our tongues confess you are our Lord and our Savior. May we do it to the end, no matter if it's a natural death or it's death from persecution. We will not retreat. We will not back down. We love you. You died for us, Jesus. If we have to die for you, so be it. Give us the grace to live our lives for your glory, God. Thank you for these truths. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Those of you that are here, make sure you say, introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Very important. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.